world of sports, the most unique, entertaining, thought-provoking sport talk podcast you'll ever listen to. Download, subscribe, rate, review, and enjoy anywhere you listen to your bevy a podcast. I tackle the topics and games of the NFL, slam dunk the what's happening in the NBA like Roger and Rerun, go after the subject matter in college sports like a drunk freshman, look on the score with young co-eds like my guys on the Georgetown Hoyas, score points and win conference tournaments, and even get my thoughts in the happenings of what's going on in professional wrestling. How can I do all those things? Because I'm better than you, and you know it. Wendell's World in Sports, rip, roaring, ready to entertain and amuse anywhere when you listen to your favorite podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the most unique, entertaining, and compelling sports talk podcast you'll ever listen to. Let's be great. Let's be great. Wendell's World in Sports with the one and only Wendell Wallace. Giannis charging down the lane to the rim. Double clutch. No good. Tipped in. Giannis tipped it home. Subscribe, rate, and review anywhere and everywhere you listen to this and all your favorite podcasts. And now, from Washington, D.C. metropolitan area, Rip, Roin, and ready to rumble, Wendell Wallace. Wendell's World in Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Bonjour, bonsoir, monsieur, mademoiselle. Je m'appelle Wendell Wallace. Wendell's World in Sports, so glad that you could be with us. Speaking about what's happening in the world of sports. Namaste, konnichiwa, wassalam alaikum, my brothers and sisters. Shalom. Wendell's World in Sports, so glad that you could be with us. Que pasa, mi amigos, mi llamo Wendell Wallace. Wendell's World in Sports, so glad that you could be with us. A lot of the things to get down on and discuss today in the world of sports. As usual, I have to ask you, are you doing all right? Are you doing fantastic? Are you doing everything that needs to be done to move the society in a loving, peaceful, harmonious, unified manner? Listening, learning, educating, shutting up and listening, learning for those who don't look like you, those with a different skin tone than you, those from the different side of the tracks than you, those who worship a different God than you, those who love someone different than you, those who are from all over the globe, regardless of who they are. Are you listening to those people? Are you doing what you need to do to make sure that you spread the love and the unity and the peace and the harmonious vibe that we're going to need to move this forward, to move this country forward, to move this world forward, to move the society forward in a loving, peaceful, utopian direction? So our children and their children and their children and their children can live in a place where there's very minimal discrimination, there's very minimal oppression, where there's very minimal ignorance toward folks based on lies, based on stupidity of others who are looking to race bait, who are looking to conquer love and peace with selfishness and arrogance and privilege and ignorance. Let's see what we can do to go ahead and stomp that bullshit out. Wendell's World in Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us today on the program, today on the podcast. Man, I've got some NFL talk that I want to go ahead and speak with y'all. There's also some college football talk that I want to speak with y'all. There's also some MMA news I want to speak with y'all. There's also a boxing match, a heavyweight boxing match that took place this weekend, this past weekend that I want to speak with y'all about and go and just speak about, man, boxing. I'll get into this a little bit more in detail, but, you know, my feelings are so strong about this. I'm still uh, buzzing from 
one of the best fights of the year so far, especially when we're speaking about heavyweights that happened in London, England. Alexander Ushek, your new WBO, WBC heavyweight champion, and now the one of the biggest fights, if not the biggest fight in British boxing history is D-E-A-D. The fight between the fight that could have happened between Anthony Joshua and Tyson Fury for the impact that it could have had on the country and on the sport, it is dead. Congratulations, boxing. Your greed and your stupidity and your short-sightedness once again cost your sport dearly. And it caught the participants who could have made a boatload, boatload of money a whole bunch of money that was going down the drain. I'm just kind of figuring that between Anthony Joshua, Tyson Fury, and Anthony Joshua and Deontay Wilder's Wilder, those clowns probably lost somewhere in the neighborhood of 150 to about 250 million dollars with their stupidity, with their arrogance, with their short-sightedness, with their greed in terms of uh, only going for self. Well, congratulations, fellas. The three of you probably lost in excess around $200 million. Congratulations. There ain't no way that you can go ahead and make that up by fighting each other four or five years down the road from now. You had your opportunity, and you blew it. And you blew it, and you blew it. Joshua Wilder, you blew it. Fury, Joshua, you blew it. Congratulations, clowns. Unbelievable. Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. So that's some of the things, the last part of the podcast, the last segment of the podcast that I'm going to be speaking on. But let me go ahead and speak about the NFL. Week three of the NFL season still. I'm in preseason mode in terms of my hip, hip, yay, yay, hey, hey, who's the MVP? Who's going to win the Super Bowl? Who's going to do all these things? Still in preseason mode, not making any type of strong uh, opinions about who's going to be doing what 13, 14 weeks from now. I, I will say this, though. If I'm the Pittsburgh Steelers, if I'm the Philadelphia Eagles, and if I'm the Miami Dolphins, and especially let's just kind of focus on Miami because there might be some things um, pre- pre- preventing the possibility of the Pittsburgh Steelers and the Philadelphia Eagles of going after this quarterback. But if I'm the Miami Dolphins, <laughs> I know Coach Brian Flores was talking about we want character guys, we need character guys. You need guys who can play the game of football at the quarterback position. And right now between Tua Tungavailoa and Jacoby Brissett, you don't have those guys if you want to win a championship, if you want to make the playoffs, if you want to be one of the elite contending teams, not just in the AFC, but also the NFC. And I talked about this before on multiple podcasts about when is the time going to come to where the fan base starts demanding and the organization starts inquiring about the possible acquisition of Houston Texans quarterback who's right now in, I don't know where he is. Uh, he's, he's nowhere near the stadium. He's nowhere helping this, the Houston Texans win in purgatory, I guess you can say. When is it going to be time for the Miami Dolphins to start asking about Deshaun Watson? And when is it going to be the time for the Houston Texans to finally say, okay, all right, Time for us to be moving on. Concentrating mainly, as I mentioned before, on Miami because when you speak over the months, over the time period of Deshaun Watson asking for a trade and then everything coming down about his uh, situation off the field, you're speaking about teams who might show the strongest interest toward Watson at the top of the list is always the Miami Dolphins. So that's one of the reasons why I'm going to concentrate this segment mainly on teams who are looking, who are interested, who might have the possibility of acquiring, who should look into the possibility of acquiring 
Deshaun Watson. That's the reason why I'm going to focus mainly on the Miami Dolphins. Because they have a defense that can do some things. They have a defense, if their offense was really good, that they could win a championship or they could compete for a championship. And then you bring in someone like a Deshaun Watson. If I'm Miami, what's stopping you? If I'm Miami, what's the point? What's going on right now? The Dolphins fall, uh, fall to 1-2 and two after losing in overtime to the Las Vegas Raiders. Daniel Carlson's 22-yard field goal as time expired in overtime lifted the Raiders to that 31-28 victory. Miami's not, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. You're, you're not going to win. Miami's not going to win with the offense and the quarterback they have right now. Not enough skill players at the running back and wide receiver position. Their, their best, their most talented player on offense is Jaden Waddell, the first-round draft pick out of Miami who looks like, you know, if he continues to develop, is going to uh, turn into a really good wide receiver, but he ain't going to do anything for the Dolphins this year in terms of being the different difference maker and helping to um, get rid of the uh, negativity or get rid of some of the shortcomings of the quarterbacks that are on the roster right now. There's nobody playing quarterback on the roster for the Miami Dolphins as of right now that I've seen that can say, hey, you know what, we've got a real possibility to win a championship. And, you know, Deshaun Watson is going through his things. And Deshaun Watson, I don't know exactly what the update is concerning Deshaun Watson and all his legal matters. But how much longer can the Miami Dolphins continue to play with the offense that they have right now? And how much longer can the Houston Texans sit around and keep Deshaun Watson on the shelf when he's not in their plans? Now, look, if you're Houston's perspective, okay, you're not going to give the guy away. The guy's a franchise quarterback. The guy's an elite quarterback. The guy's one of the top three or four quarterbacks in the league today when, he, when, when, when he's going right. So I understand that Houston's just not going to give him away for, um, you know, sign autograph of Simone Biles and season tickets. But sooner or later, you, you got to do something. Sooner or later, as an organization, if you're Houston, you got to go forward and see what you have. Not with Tyrod Taylor. But with the fourth round draft pick out of Stanford that you uh, drafted, you got to somehow, someway see what you've got in this guy, Davis Mills, and see if this is the guy you're going to move forward with, especially given the fact that in this year's upcoming draft, the 2022 draft, there is not a quarterback if you bottom out, if you finish in the top five, that there's going to be a quarterback sitting there that's going to be a better option than what you have now with the quarterbacks already on the roster minus Deshaun Watson. There is no Trevor Lawrence to lose for. There is no Justin Fields to lose for. There is no Zach Wilson to lose for. There is no project out there like Trey Lance that you could stash for a year or two and he'll have the possibility of turning into an elite franchise quarterback. There are no prospects like that, according to all the scouts and all the draft picks in the 2022 NFL draft. So if you're the Houston Texans, you've got two options here. You can tread water and go with... Tyrod Taylor, who's a nice professional quarterback, and that's about it. But he's not going to get you to a championship. He's not going to get your team to an elite status. He's not going to get you to where the fan base wants you to go ultimately. He's in his 30s, so he's not a long-term answer in any way, shape, or form. So you can go ahead and help and bring him back and have the Texans go, what, 4-13? and Whoop-de-damn-fucking-do. Or you could go ahead and see what you've got in Davis Mills, and see if this is something to where, hey, you know what? Maybe if Davis Mills is not the answer, we know Deshaun, uh, excuse me, that uh, Tyrod Taylor is not going to be there long term. Do we go back and rethink possibly, maybe depending upon what happens with his legal status? Do we go back and maybe revisit 
the possibility of Deshaun Watson staying with the Houston Texans? Is there any way that we can kind of salvage this? Don't speak to me about the fan base. Don't speak to me about the advertisers. Don't speak to me about the season ticket holders. Don't speak about me. Don't speak to me about, you know, the, the possibility of Deshaun Watson coming back because of everything that he's going through, everything that he's been accused of that somehow, some way, that bringing Deshaun Watson back would be... Uh, poisonous that would be cancerous that would be a bad idea because if Deshaun Watson comes back and he balls believe you me the fans the advertisers and everybody else will quickly forget about everything that's going down we haven't heard anything we haven't seen Deshaun Watson in a while we don't know what the hell is going on we don't know what in terms of what his lawyer is doing in terms of how much money do you need for this to go away how can we avoid this going to trial how can we you know go ahead and expedite this so Deshaun Watson can be in the clear and move on with his NFL career we, we don't know anything that's going on with this so far so there are no new allegations about you know uh Deshaun Watson called me over and, you know, he stripped naked and he uh, he had me, you know, grope him or he groped me or I had to grab his private area or anything like that. We haven't heard any new stories regarding that. We haven't heard anything that would make us go, ew, or gee, that's disgusting, or man, what a perv, or man, you're kind of creepy and weird. We haven't heard any of those stories lately regarding women and Deshaun Watson. So, so far, out of sight, out of mind. I'm quite sure... A, you don't know how many women are uh, uh, alleging uh, sexual misconduct with him. I'm quite sure you can say many, but you can't give me an exact number. You probably can't even give me a ballpark number. You don't know exactly where it is as far as the judicial system is concerned or how this is being played out or how this is being taken care of. And you probably can't even name exactly what he did to get himself in this situation other than that he was having inappropriate, he was in putting himself in inappropriate situations with women. So the farther the thing gets away from us, the better it will be for Deshaun Watson and for the Houston fan base to say, hey, you know what, maybe we will have a situation where we can try possibly to bring him back. The chances of that are slim. I understand that, but I mean, what else do you have in Houston right now? Again, you're going to uh, continue once Tyrod Taylor is back to plug him into the uh, starting quarterback position? Would you rather go 6-11 and 11, or would you rather go 3-14, and 4-13 and 13 and see what you got from Davis Mills to see exactly what's going to be your next move to enhance, to improve the Im- most important position on the football field, which is the quarterback? Are we going to go free agency here? Are we going to try once again for a third or fourth round draft pick and see if he's the answer again if... You guys, after one year, determine if Davis Mills is not going to be the guy, and how are you going to be able to determine that if the soon as as soon as Tyrod Taylor is good to go, you're going to plug him back in because you want to win six ball games this year? I don't know. So all of these things are, are going into play, which leads me all the way back to the Miami Dolphins. If they can kind of see what's going on with his legal situation concerning Deshaun Watson, and if there's a way that they can go ahead and make this move to get him on the team. If you're the Miami Dolphins, don't you owe it to your fan base? Don't you owe it to your season ticket holders? Don't you owe it to the folks who grew up loving and and um, and uh, admiring your organization? I mean, in the words of Dan Marino, aren't you going to be trying to do something to bring back or try to acquire the best quarterback who would be the best quarterback since Dan Marino? 
Because again, you watch this football team and defensively, okay, we've got something here. Offensively, we've got nothing. As a team against the Raiders, they scored three touchdowns at the team in the game against uh, uh, Las Vegas. They scored on an 85-yard interception return, the opening uh, uh, possession of the game for the Raiders. Their second touchdown came after their defense forced a turnover on downs at the Raiders' 34-yard line, so they had a short field to go with the uh, to go with that. And then their third TD came with two seconds remaining to uh, tie the football game, a game that they shouldn't even been in only because the uh, extra point for Las Vegas was missed. So they were fortunate enough to uh, get in the end zone and then have a two-point conversion. It was only after Jacoby Brissett was unleashed and he was allowed to throw the ball downfield. Now, while fourth and 20, and late in the fourth quarter, you have no other choice. But, you know, for the most of the game, Jacoby Brissett really looked indecisive. He looked uh, passive. He looked like, again, a, a glorified game manager. So what are we going to do with the Miami Dolphins? You, you can't win a championship that way. What are your goals? What are your aspirations? Not just for 2022, but moving forward. What are you going to do with this? So I would go ahead and I would just inquire, inquire about what's happening. And then kind of clean up the mess, which is your offensive coaching situation. Because right now for Flores, you got three offensive coordinators. And you know how we say with quarterbacks, if you have two quarterbacks, you have none. Well, what about offensive coordinators if you have three of them? Eric, Stuttle, uh, Eric Stutzfield and George Gotze are the co-offensive coordinators with quarterback coach Charlie Fry also having a big say in the dynamic. So if you want to be decisive, if you want to do something, if you want to uh, make a bold move, of course the ultimate decision maker is going to be the head coach. But in terms of play call, in terms of what you want to do, I mean, who's who's in charge here? Who's the one in charge of making the calls? Is it Studsfield? Is it Goodsby? Is it Fry? I mean, what what's happening here? How much sway do one of these guys have with the head coach? How much of the ear does one of these three offensive coordinators have or two offensive coordinators and the quarterback coach have with the uh, head coach? It's a mess. It's an absolute complete mess. So first of all, get your offensive coordinating situation straightened out and then do what uh, your owner, Stephen Ross, wants you to do in terms of it's been reported that, you know what, despite facing 22 civil lawsuits and alleging sexual misconduct and 10 other uh, criminal complaints, Stephen Ross is like, go out and get me a quarterback, namely Deshaun Watson. So, Houston, we've got ourselves a situation, and Jay Glazer of Fox was reporting that the Texas stance has started to soften regarding the um, demand and picks and players that they want in exchange if they're going to give up Deshaun Watson. Houston's asking price was somewhere like three first round picks and two second round picks and that type of thing. I mean, if you're if you're Miami, aren't you a team that at least has the best situation in terms of a quarterback? I mean, you have Tua Tungavailoa. Yeah, we don't know what he's all about, but he's young and he's something, right? He's a high draft pick, right? I mean, so we can maybe entice the Texans to uh, include Tua in the deal, I would guess. I don't know. I don't know, but something needs to be done in Miami because that's a team on defense that can do some things, but what's going to happen is that they're going to waste their opportunity because of a bad offense. Wendell's World in Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. So I'm, I'm thinking about the theme here because I do miss Deshaun Watson. I, I, miss, uh, I miss a quarterback who was on his way 
to becoming an elite quarterback for the next seven or eight or 10 years, barring injury or I guess barring sexual um, uh, allegations uh, directed at him. But I take a look at these teams. I take a look at someone like the Pittsburgh Steelers, an organization like the Pittsburgh Steelers. I mean, did you see Ben Roethlisberger play on Sunday? Did you see him play against the Bengals? I mean, he looked like Drew Bledsoe. He made Drew Bledsoe look like Lamar Jackson. Um, The man lost some weight and he got in shape and he still looks that immobile. Man, he made Peyton Manning near the end of his career in Denver look like Kyler Murray times three. And now you have a offensive line for Pittsburgh that's still gelling, that's still learning each other. You have a good number of wide receivers in the really solid running back, it looks like, in Najee Harris. If you're the Pittsburgh Steelers, I mean, with, with Roethlisberger, you're an injury away from, I don't know what the hell you do. You're going to play Mason Rudolph again? And Roethlisberger has not looked good. I, I don't I don't know what this turnaround was supposed to be with Ben Roethlisberger after last season. I mean, I don't, I don't know how his arm was going to get that much stronger. I don't know how much he was going to gain as far as mobility is concerned. I, I have no idea what the plan was. And Pittsburgh this year didn't draft a quarterback for the future. So are we looking at Mason Rudolph at that guy? Are we really going to beg and plead and hope that Ben Roethlisberger, the way that he's looking now, if he continues to look this way, that hopefully that he's going to come back for another season? You're the Pittsburgh Steelers fans. Do you want to see Ben Roethlisberger, the way he's playing right now, come back a year older? Like somehow, some way, that's going to improve? I don't give a damn. I don't care if you had the 1976 Oakland Raiders offensive line. Ben Roethlisberger is a sitting target back there in today's game where you have to move as a quarterback. You have to be mobile unless you have the brain of a Tom Brady and the genetics of a Tom Brady and the TB12 of a Tom Brady in an offensive line like um, the Buccaneers have to keep him upright. Ben Roethlisberger, the way he is right now, the what his arm is right now, I, I, I don't know exactly how his arm strength is going to get better. I mean, isn't it the farther you get in the season, you know, you start accumulating injuries and some itchy owies and some annoying type of injuries that will stunt any type of progress of your body feeling better? Well, Ben Roethlisberger's arm is this strength, is at this level right now, and we're only week three into the NFL season. What the hell is it going to look like in four months? What the hell is it going to look like in week 14, 15, 16? All of a sudden, he's going to turn back to the Big Ben of, I don't know, 8, 10 years ago? So if you're the Pittsburgh Steelers, what are we doing here? Where are we going here? And if you're the Pittsburgh Steelers, if you're the Pittsburgh Steelers fans, think about the Steelers organization and think about that coach and then think about the culture and what that could do for Deshaun Watson, bringing him in. Think about what that, that can do. Now, when do we make this move? Who knows? But again, if Roethlisberger continues to play like this, again, the Steelers' defense is great, but they can't overcome that offense that played against Cincinnati. Are you assuming that it's going to get better? I mean, with time, barring injury, the offensive line should get better. Harris should adapt more uh, once he you know plays more, you know, getting used to the speed and everything of the uh, NFL. But yet still, there, there's no break glass in case of emergency as far as a quarterback concerned that's going to be able to turn around the fortunes of the Pittsburgh Steelers on offense, you're going to be counting on Roethlisberger to do that? All right. 
Yeah, all right, if you're the Steelers. I'm, I'm just saying, I don't know why they don't inquire. I don't know why that hasn't become more of a talking point. It's because of the sacredness of Ben Roethlisberger and what he's meant for that organization that it would be blasphemous to talk about benching Ben Roethlisberger, especially for someone with the uh, legal situation and problems as Deshaun Watson. Let me tell you something, man. The uh, San Francisco 49ers jettisoned Joe Montana. The Green Bay Packers jettisoned uh, Brett Favre. Oh, the biggest example of them all. The New England Patriots said goodbye to Tom Brady. So if the New England Patriots can say goodbye to Tom Brady after everything that he's done for that organization, Steelers can't do the same with Ben Roethlisberger with the intent to get better. At least when Brady left the... Patriots to go to the Buccaneers. I mean, he was miles ahead in terms of his effectiveness and his ability uh, right now than Ben Roethlisberger. So you're going to try to tell me we're going to keep Ben Roethlisberger, this guy going to be 40 years old. He can't move without the arm strength because of what he did for us back in 2006 or 2004 or 2012. Come on, man. We got to be moving forward. I know the Steelers are a different brand when we're speaking about organizations and its loyalty and stuff, but Aren't you interested in winning? And imagine the opportunity to have what could be, what should be, what could possibly be an elite quarterback for the next 10 years with the acquisition of Ben Roethlisberger. So you make that transition from Ben Roethlisberger to Deshaun Watson. For the Steelers, you wouldn't miss a beat. Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Another team I'm thinking about watched him play tonight on Monday Night Football, Jalen Hurts with the Philadelphia Eagles. I, I know it might be a little bit early to end the experiment, but Philadelphia was one of the teams rumored, reported to be interested in Deshaun Watson. I take a look at that game tonight. I take a look at the Eagles defense tonight. I take a look at Devonta Smith tonight, and I'm saying to myself, if I'm Deshaun Watson and his agent, you know, this might be able to work. We might be able to do something here. I like this Devonta Smith. I can, I can do some things with him. I mean, I don't know how close we could get to being having the converse, having that relationship that I had on the football field with DeAndre Hopkins, but I, if I've done it once, I can do it, with, do it again. And the ability and the talent is there with Devonta Smith. Once he gets adjusted to the physicality and puts on some more weight, the kid's going to be a really good football player. He's going to be a legit number one wide receiver. I can work with something like that. You know, now we need to upgrade some of our skill players. We need to upgrade that offensive line. But if I'm Deshaun Watson, I'm just sitting around. I mean, Philadelphia is a lot better option right now than Houston. So I don't know if the Philadelphia Eagles have the want or the need or the desire or the capital to go ahead and make the move. But if I'm those guys, yeah, man, I do that and I do that soon. So Deshaun Watson still on the shelf. Deshaun Watson is still waiting, but I'm telling you, man, the time should be ticking and the urgency should be happening for some teams with legit, with some legit, um, <clears throat> excuse me, with some legit situations to get into the playoffs and do some work that are only a quarterback away from doing it. I'm not saying that in a in, in this year that all of a sudden Deshaun Watson is going to make them challenge the Los Angeles Rams or the Tampa Bay Buccaneers or the Kansas City football team. I'm not saying that, but man, you know, acquiring Deshaun Watson and letting him get his feet wet is having him be your franchise quarterback for not just this season, but for the forthcoming years. Man, it could be a very, very great situation for those squads that I just mentioned who are in dire need for a new quarterback. <laughs>
Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us speaking about what's happening in the world of sports. Before I get back to it, just some breaking news that I uh, saw that I want to uh, comment on and give a hip hip parade to and add a boy and everything like that. The scumbag R. Kelly, Robert Kelly, the R&B superstar known for his anthem, I Believe I Can Fly, hopefully in about 15 years after being gang raped on a continuous basis that they take his lifeless corpse and throw it off a building to really see if he can fly, was convicted Monday in a sex trafficking trial after decades of avoiding criminal responsibility for numerous allegations of misconduct with young women and children, a jury of seven men and five women found Kelly, 54 years old, guilty of all nine counts, including racketeering. On their second day of deliberation, Kelly wore a face mask below black rimmed glasses, remaining motionless with eyes downcast as the verdict was read in federal court in Brooklyn. Put that piece of shit motherfucker underneath the goddamn jail after he's been fucking gang raped every fucking single day of his life. That fucking scumbag. That absolute pedophile scumbag. Congratulations. We got that piece of shit off the streets. Off the streets. And for my community, I don't want to hear no bullshit about black man being put down and all that kind of nonsense. Fuck all that bullshit. Don't be showing that ignorance. Don't be showing that stupidity. When it comes to Robert Kelly, we knew this motherfucker was a piece of shit long ago and we still brought his records and we still put him high on the pedestal and we did all those things for him. Having sex with Aaliyah, pissing on a girl when she was 15, having sex with Aaliyah when she was, what, 14, 15 years old and then marrying, trying to, trying to marry the girl. And we were still up there, you know, talking about how wonderful he is and how great he is and putting him on the pedestal. Not just my community, but the, but the uh, entire world to go ahead and ignore what uh, he was doing and still have at least my community embarrassing ourselves like that stop enough 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 R. Kelly got what he deserved he should have been you know he should have been charged and convicted years ago but you know what man make sure that that scumbag spends the rest of his life in prison right where he belongs do do not put that piece of shit in protective custody custody put him in general population so hopefully he can be gang raped and he can eventually be shanked that's the next thing that i want to be happening for this piece of shit anybody who thinks my comments are a little strong go to netflix and watch uh, surviving r kelly and listen to what those women went through. Listen to what those women, as they were girls, went through with R. Kelly. And, you know, you can speak about, well, the parents and this, that, the other. No, 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 no. This is all on this piece of shit that I'm looking at right now that's going to be spending the rest of his life in prison. In prison. Put him in ADX. Let him stare at the wall for 23 hours a day, seven days a week. That would uh, that would be awesome. That would be fantastic. So yes, R. Kelly, the 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 R and B superstar, R. Kelly, right, convicted of sex trafficking. Fantastic. Let that motherfucker. Let the gang rape commence on that piece of shit. Let the train commence on his ass in that prison. We can only hope. Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host. Wendell Wallace, so glad that you could be with us. Okay, now with that being said, let me go ahead and get back to what's happening in the NFL. Speaking about week three in the NFL, I got to ask you a question, man. What's going on with the Kansas City football team? Launching home to the Los Angeles Chargers 30-24 to to fall to 1-2 with the realistic possibility that they could be 0-3. Now, also, if a couple of bounces went their, went their way, you could be speaking also about the team being 3-0. and So there's a very fine line between 3-0, and 1-2, and 0-3. But as of 
Right now, they are one and two, and not in first place. The Las Vegas Raiders, the Denver Broncos, both undefeated, are in first place. And then you got the uh, Los Angeles Chargers sitting there at two and one. I said that the NFC West was going to be the toughest division in sports. Well, through through three weeks of the season, it's the AFC West that has been the more dominant uh, division in the NFL through the first three weeks. So Justin Herbert outplayed Patrick Mahomes, went 26 of 38, 281 yards, four touchdowns, no interceptions. Um, ramifications, man, of Justin Herbert. First of all, Mario Cristobal, where was this Justin Herbert when you had him in college? Because he didn't ball like this when he was in college. So exactly what were you doing? What was the offensive coordinator and yourself doing with Justin Herbert to where he had to go to the NFL to explode and become the quarterback uh, that he is right now? Now, you can sit there and be like, well, you know, Wendell, the man was taken as far as the top seven or eight picks in the draft. So it's not like this guy was picked in the fourth or fifth round because we just had him handing the football off or we had him doing a lot of RPOs or we just had him, you know, working out of the wishbone or some bullshit like that. So let's calm down on the on the uh, negativity toward me on that one. Okay, coach, I understand that, but man, I mean, he's play- Justin Herbert, who, who, when he was drafted, do we think that he would be able to do this this quickly? And we were all speaking about the potentials there, the talent is there, but man, do we think if we could do a draft over, if we could do a do-over again? I know right now the Miami Dolphins, I know there's some jobs who are going to be in, in the scouting department that are going to be lost over the decision to draft Tua Tungavailoa over Justin Herbert, which is why some of those people are probably begging and pleading to go ahead and have the Dolphins acquire De- uh, Deshaun Watson so possibly he can go ahead and change around the fortune and kind of hide the fact that, yeah, we did pick Tua over Justin Herbert, but you can also make the argument then to say, yeah, we picked Tua over Justin Herbert, but guess what? When everything was all said and done, we found out that Tua wasn't any good, so we shipped him off, and we got ourselves a quarterback who's going to be better, hopefully, than Justin Herbert. At the very least, we know that he's better than Herbert right now, and Deshaun Watson, he could be our quarterback for the next 10 to 12 years after his lawyer and himself pay off all of these folks that's been accusing him of sexual assault and other proclivities that are of the uh, kinky type. But uh, Herbert, man, he's just been outstanding, absolutely outstanding. A strong rookie season, and now through three games of the season, he seems to have taken it to the next level. So, I mean, Justin Herbert outplaying Patrick Mahomes. I understand it's one week. Gotcha, it's one week. And the week before that, it was, was, um, holy mackerel, Lamar Jackson who outplayed Patrick Mahomes. So who would have thought? that Patrick Mahomes' back-to-back weeks would be outplayed. Now, he's being outplayed by some really, really good quarterbacks, a former MVP a few years removed, and then a guy who looks like he's going to be a future MVP of the league. But uh, as of right now, for the year 2021, in weeks two and three of the National Football League, Patrick Mahomes clearly has been outplayed. Need another example of Herbert and uh, what he did on Sunday against Kansas City. Game tied at 24 with a minute 42 left in the game. Justin led an eight-play, 59-yard drive for the winning score. Important parts, third and two from the Los Angeles Chargers, 49. He hit a he hit Keenan Allen, Allen for 15 yards. Then on fourth and nine, with 48 seconds left to go, Herbert threw a jump ball that uh, was called for pass interference on DeAndre Baker of Kansas City. First down for Kansas City. Uh, first down at the Kansas City 20-yard line. Then 
hit Mike Williams with consecutive completions, including the TD throw with 32 seconds left for the lead and eventual victory. I mean, it was so pure. It was so fantastic that, damn, it was a situation where you couldn't even, you couldn't even fault Herbert for saying, you know what, you scored too quickly. You knew that Patrick Holmes, Patrick Mahomes was on the other side of the uh, other side of the field. You knew that he was going to be coming back on offense. Why in the world are you going to score a touchdown with a minute fourteen or a or a minute thirty six left to go in the game? You should have scored a lot sooner or a lot later on in the contest to make sure that Mahomes couldn't come back. Herbert was like, "Cool, I got you." He went ahead and had the winning touchdown with thirty two seconds left, and also the situation: a guy who's not even been in the league for two full seasons. They're placing the trust on Herbert to throw a pass in that situation because the defense dictated, the matchups dictated that running the ball and setting up for a field goal wasn't going to be the greatest uh, advantage for the Chargers. It was taking advantage of the one-on-one left side of the uh, of, of the sticks to throw it to Mike Williams, who had the size advantage over the uh, DB from Kansas City. And they have the confidence that have the confidence to put the ball in Herbert's hands to make that throw and to make those plays on a continuous basis. Hey, man, that's, I mean, when was the last time that we saw a rookie have those type of uh, responsibilities or at least a guy who's right now haven't, hasn't even started, what, 17, 18 games in his professional football career at the quarterback position? So, Wow. Really, really strong stuff from the Los Angeles Chargers. So, you know, I, I forgot who was calling the game, but they were talking about, oh, this is bad. This is a bad way to score. You should have ran the ball and kicked the field goal, and that way you know, more time would have been taken off the clock. I mean, damn, I forgot. Again, was it, was it, was it Romo? It wasn't Romo, was it? Who was it? I forgot. I was doing red zone, and so I was going back and forth and such. But I was just, remember, I just remembered listening to the commentary and just being perplexed, like, what? <laughs> Shouldn't the score have been 31-24, but the score after being tied at 24 and the Chargers score a touchdown, the fact that the kicker had just missed an extra point, and all of a sudden after that you're talking about they need to get themselves in field goal position so he can go ahead and kick the game-winning field goal. Uh, there was your, your confidence is still high in this kicker after he missed an extra point? Well, yeah, you know, the, 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 where he was going to kick the ball, the, the game-winning field goal kick was going to be shorter than him kicking the extra point. No, nah, man, uh-uh, uh-uh. No, 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 no. The way Herbert was balling, the way they were taking advantage of the situations, and seven points is always better than three points at that point in time of the football game. I would rather have, I would rather take my chances with the matchup of Mike Williams on the DB for Kansas City and with Justin Herbert having the ball in his hands more than a kicker who had just who was just coming off missing an extra point, not not going to happen. So that was interesting. That was a I I think the the phrase that the commentator used was, and again I don't, it had to be Romo right because the Chargers in Kansas City that was the best game in the AFC. But hey man, I mean the 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 the, the phrase or the comment made about that was you know that that was the wrong way to win a football game, huh? <laughs> what? What? I mean, could, I mean, what? What are we talking about here? That's the wrong way to win a football game. Is there a, is there a wrong way to win a football game? Can someone please tell me the wrong way to win a football game? I've, I've never heard that before. 
Do does that mean that the Chargers only get half a victory or something like that? Like in the in the in the standings, their victories or their record is one one and a half. I mean, what 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 are we talking about here? One one and then three quarters. What what is what does that mean? Do they drop in the rankings or is, is the NFL now going to constitute a new method of trying to figure out what the playoffs are and go to the um, model of college football and just start ranking the teams and because the Chargers found or decided to take the wrong route in winning a football game that they'll drop in the rankings. So instead of being number eight in the country this year or this uh, season for or this period of time, they're going to drop to number 10 or number 12 because the pass from Herbert to Mike Williams was the wrong way to win a football game. That was interesting. That was uh, that was really interesting. But uh, the Chargers went ahead and uh, got it done after missing uh, several opportunities to uh, win a football game the week before against the Dallas Cowboys. Wendell's World in Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us after the game. Kansas City coach Andy Reid was taken to the hospital for dehydration. Now, what a source told ESPN Den Graziano was Reid, who's 63 years old, was treated for dehydration, and he is expected to be fine. Thank goodness for that. The organization didn't specify in a statement on Sunday night, what was wrong with Reed, only saying that he felt ill, but the team did say the coach is doing well, currently resting and in stable condition. So there you go. So should we go ahead and ask the question? Should I go ahead and ask you this question? What's going on with the Kansas City football team? Am I am I reading too much into two losses? Am I reading too much into two close losses? Again, the the, the, the team, Kansas City, could easily be 3-0 and right now instead of 1-2. Am I... Am I, I'm not saying that I'm panicking and everybody on the same brain frame as me with this needs to R-E-L-A-X, but I'm, I don't know. I mean, are we, is Kansas City still in a Super Bowl stupor? Is Kansas City, I mean, we're speaking about a team that's won the, um, that has won the AFC West five times. We're speaking about five times in a row, five seasons in a row. We're speaking about a team over the last couple of seasons that has been to the AFC Championship, that has been to the Super Bowl twice. Are we speaking about a team that's kind of treating the first couple of weeks of the regular season without the same intensity and ferocity and focus that uh, the Denver Broncos or the Las Vegas Raiders or the San Diego, uh, damn it, the Los Angeles Chargers are bringing to the table? I don't know. I don't know. Is it hubris by Kansas City that is like, okay, that's fine, that's cool. We're only three games into the season. We got fourteen of these bad boys to go. You can easily say, hey man, Kansas City with Patrick Mahomes is just one of these teams where, like, as long as they get into the playoffs, they'll be fine. You know how we say that about the Lakers with LeBron James? It doesn't matter if they're the number one seed. It doesn't matter if they have home court advantage for the first round of the playoffs or second round or the conference finals. It doesn't matter if they're the first seed, the fourth seed, the seventh seed, the eighth seed. As long as you've got LeBron James and Anthony Davis on your team and the Lakers are in the playoffs, no matter what seed they are, they're going to be considered dangerous and they're going to be considered the favorite. Now, that theory was blown to shreds because they lost in the first round. In fact, the deciding game they lost or the elimination game they lost was at home. But, um, you know, mitigating circumstances, you know, played a role in that. But, you know, I'm speaking, is Kansas City, is Kansas City at that level now where it's like, look, man, if, 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 if Kansas City doesn't win the AFC West, you still got Patrick Mahomes. You can't tell me or you're going to try to convince me that Kansas City can't win two two or three, or excuse me, three football games on the road. I mean, 
You want to take a look at precedent? Just look one season ago where the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, who finished the season 11-5 and and didn't win their division, they went on the road and beat Washington, and then they went on the road and beat New Orleans, and then they went on the road to beat Green Bay. So, um, I mean, if you want to look at an example of how it could happen, look no farther than just, I don't know, less than 12 months ago. So, building, I spoke about, hey, you know, with Kansas City or with any other football team that, you know, we shouldn't be making any, like, you know, long-term proclamations or we shouldn't be sitting there talking about stamped on the envelope or stamped, put it in the mail, concrete thoughts and opinions and feelings about how a season's going to go for a football team three weeks into the season. I don't care if we're speaking about the Raiders. I don't care if we're speaking about the Broncos. I don't care if we're speaking about Tampa Bay. I don't care if we're speaking about the Rams all the way down to, I don't care if we're speaking about the Jacksonville Jaguars or the Houston Texans. Three weeks into the season, there's no time to either be super elated, see LA Ram fans, or super concerned, see Kansas City football team fans. So, I get it. I understand it. But are we starting to see, because everybody wants to be first. Whenever something goes awry and something goes off the rails after uh, a season's over of disappointment, we always like to be the first one to say, I was the first one who called it. I was the first one. I was the first one who saw it before everybody else. I told you. I told you. I told you. Right? So people who are looking to go ahead and, and, and claim that title, I mean, what are they looking at here after three games to have them say, oh, you know, this is going to be a harbinger for a bad, bad news for Kansas City football fans. You think that it's just a matter of Patrick Mahomes becoming Patrick Mahomes again and the defense getting a little bit better and the signing of Josh Gordon is going to make everything better and upgrade their wide receiving core and all these type of things in the offensive line and Edward Lair is going to stop fumbling the football and they're going to go ahead and try to you know, improve that running game, all of these things that's going to take time for it, for for the um, offense in Kansas City to build. Oh, yeah, fine, no problem, this, that, and the other. What's going to be the antithesis of this positivity in terms of no big deal, R-E-L-A-X concerning the Kansas City football team's return to glory, eliteness, and dominance? Well, you've got defense the defense so far has been uh, awful. Through three games this season, the defense has given, them, given up at least 30 points in two of the games that they played, two of the three games that they played. Oh, in the one game that they didn't give up 30 points, they gave up 29. Season opener against Cleveland. That's I, I, there's, there's no transition. There's no acquisition. There's no player that's being reinstated. There's no defensive coordinator that's available. There's no defensive coach out there that's unemployed that Kansas City can bring into the staff, bring into the organization, put them on the payroll. There, there, there's no, like, aha solution to what's going on for the Kansas City defense to get any better. I don't know if there can be a better scheme. I don't know if there's any players who are injured right now that can make such a tremendous uh, turnaround to the defense. And look, with Kansas City's offense... It masks a lot of the uh, deficiencies of the of their defense because when you got Patrick Mahomes and you got that offense that they that they have right now, you you don't need to be elite when you have that offense. But if the offensive side of the ball for Kansas City, if they're going to be turning the ball over the numerous amount of times that they've had for the next for the last uh, few weeks, then you know we've got a problem because that defense is not stout enough 
to go ahead and rectify the mistakes of the office, putting them in disadvantaged situations, short fields, Kansas City sides of the field on a consistent basis if Mahomes is going to be throwing Brett Favre-type passes late in the fourth quarter to give the opposition a chance to win the football game. So that that's one thing where, that's the main thing right there. If I'm Kansas City, it, you know, Mahomes for the second week in a row, failing to deliver down the stretch in the fourth quarter. He threw a, what, ill-advised pass that would, I mean, that pass that he threw not only in the game against uh, Baltimore, where he was falling down and he threw a pass that was just ridiculous. And then I'm not even talking about the game against the Chargers where he tried to no-look pass, which was his first interception early before halftime. But I'm speaking about the fourth quarter pass. Remember that? where he tried to lob that thing in with a little bit of touch to uh, Kelsey and overthrew him by like five yards. I mean, the decision was baffling. The execution was bad. The decision was bad. Everything was just bad, 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 bad. I'm talking about Michael Jackson at the end of his life, bad. Not bad, 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 bad. That Not that bad, the other bad. So that was a throw that Mahomes, you know, put up there that would have made him a valedictorian at the James Winston School of Quarterbacking and Decision Making. So... That type of stuff, along with the turnovers. Look, against the Chargers, look, again, Mahomes tried a no-look pass to Marcus Kemp, threw it slightly behind him. Could you have made the argument that he could have made the catch? Yeah, possibly, if he was elite, if he was Devontae Adams, if he was a couple of seasons ago Michael Thomas, if he was at that stature, maybe. But, you know, this is Marcus Kemp. Reason why he's not a first or second tier wide receiver. Was behind him was intercepted by Asante Samuel Jr. Edwards Elaire again, lost another fumble. Then uh, Tyreek Hill was stripped after a completion and lost the football, which was recovered by the Chargers. So, look, this is this is a situation where Kansas City has turned it over three times in the first half, giving them five possessions in a row dating back to last week that ended in a turnover. All these things can be fixable. All of these things can be, you know, situated correctly. But um, the defense, the defense, the defense, defense, defense is the thing that has got me concerned the most. The sloppy, sluggish, slow starts that was evident against the Chargers. I'm not worried about that too much. Again, Patrick Mahomes, the good against Baltimore and the Chargers, threw for over 600 yards, six touchdowns, completed almost 75, almost could be completed on almost 70% of his 75 passes he's throwing. Okay, cool. Of course, the bad, he looks antsy in the pocket because the offensive line has not given him the uh, comfortability that he needs. He's been stepping up into pressure, and I say some of the throws that he made, again, were uh, egregiously bad. See Marcus Kemp and Travis Kelsey. But, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm not going to uh, sit there and say, oh, my goodness, oh, my goodness, the sky, is, the sky is falling. I think the Kansas City football team, when everything is all said and done, will be just fine. Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Very quickly, some other news before we get out of here because I want to talk some college football. Impressive win for the LA Rams. I guess you could say through three weeks, they are number one in most people's powers, power rankings. Beat Tampa Bay this past Sunday, 34-24. Matthew Stafford vaulting to the lead, the very early lead, the Who Cares League, the lead of MVP, 27 to 38, 343 yards, four touchdowns, through beautiful passes, through a bomb that uh, Jared Goff wouldn't even try, and that that um, 
Sean McVay wouldn't even conjure up to uh, think about calling. So look, the difference at the quarterback position for the LA Rams has been clear as day. Now, how long is this going to continue? How long can Matthew Stafford continue to do what he's doing? I think that he can continue to get better and continue to do what he's doing because, again, the fact that he's only been with this organization as far as playing in real games, he's only been there for three games. So I think with the defense that they have, I think the Rams now with Stafford at their quarterback becomes the most complete team in the NFL when you're speaking about offense and you're speaking about defense. Would like to see the running game get a little bit better. But other than that, man, you've got Stafford at the quarterback, strong arm guy, a leader, tough guy, earns respect, got the respect. You have really good wide receivers uh, for the Rams. Cup is looking like, you know, a guy who, as far as non-quarterbacks is concerned, he could be considered in terms of um, MVP for early this season, even though, again, it's a long way to go. But uh, they have a nice blend as far as receivers, quarterback play is concerned. Jalen Ramsey, still the best secondary guy in the league. Aaron Donald, still the best football player, arguably, in the league. Definitely the best defensive player in the league. The uh, Rams have everything going. Now, of course, injuries going to come into play and other things that might come into play. But as of right now, the Rams are playing some really good football. For the Buccaneers, 10-game winning streak is snapped. But when you throw the ball 55 times and you run it 13 times, as history has shown us, the Buccaneers are not successful. Brady was good, 41-55, 432 yards, one touchdown, but he was also the team's leading rusher. When 44-year-old Tom Brady is your team's leading rusher, running for 14 yards, there's a problem. When Ronald Jones and Leonard Fournette combined for 19 yards on nine carries, that's a problem. <laughs> So we don't want to have 44-year-old Tom Brady running for any yardage. 44 years old. I don't care how many vanilla protein shakes that he drinks with, uh, because he, and he doesn't eat Subway sandwiches because he doesn't eat bread. I mean, 44 years old is 44 years old. And he doesn't have the physique of Bobby Lashley to uh, take those hits, who, by the way, is 45 years old. Huh? 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 So, yeah, man, let's uh, see if we can have some balance in the Tampa Bay offense. That's what I would suggest to Bruce Aarons, who would look me up and down, roll his eyes, laugh at me, slap me in my face, and tell me to get the fuck out of his office. I'll coach the football team. You go ahead and do podcasts, bitch. Wendell's World of Sports. <laughs> that's, that's Bruce Arians, right? I'll do the uh, football coaching here. You go ahead and do the podcast, biatch. Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So I wouldn't let that old man. That old man wouldn't slap me. I dare him to slap me. I dare him to slap me. Where am I going with this? Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad glad that you could be with us quickly. Baltimore wins ugly and in historic fashion against Detroit, 1917. Historic, Justin T uh, Tucker made an NFL record 66-yard uh, field goal. The time expired for the win. Lamar Jackson was kept in check, had a couple of drop passes, but still... Pat for 287 yards, seven rushes for 58 yards, with his longest being 31. The Lions did a good job in uh, containing him for the most part, but uh, when he had to make the play, he had to uh, he, he made the play, which is what elite quarterbacks did. Fourth and 19 from the Baltimore 16, he threw a 36-yard pass to Sammy Watkins, which got the Ravens across midfield with seven seconds left and gave them the opportunity to uh, kick that historic record-breaking field goal. Of course. That shouldn't have even happened, but the referees missed the fact that there was zero 
on the play clock and just said, ah, screw it. So it's just the Lions being the Lions. Green Bay over San Francisco, 30-28 to 28 on a last-second last field goal by Mason Crosby, 51 yards out. Aaron Rodgers went 23-33, 261 yards, two touchdowns. Devontae Adams caught 12 passes on 18 targets, 132 yards, and a touchdown. Still don't know what to make of the... Green Bay Packers. I still don't know what to make of the uh, San Francisco 49ers. Trey Lance got in for one play and ran it in for a touchdown left side at the end of the first half, but uh, Garoppolo played well. So are we going to be going back and forth here when Garoppolo doesn't play well? We need him, we need to have Trey Lance in the game. I don't know. I, 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 I don't know. Can Trey Lance execute the same type of offense that Jimmy Garoppolo can? And there's some games out there that Garoppolo has been barely throwing the ball past the line of scrimmage. If that was going to be the case, then yeah, you put in Trey Lance. But the game that he had against Green Bay where he was attacking, where he was doing a lot of good things, I think that you put Trey Lance in that game, 40, the uh, 49ers don't come close to winning that. So I don't know. Luckily for me, I'm not a coach. Luckily for San Francisco 49ers fans, I'm not a coach. I'll let Kyle Shanahan, who knows much more about his team and about offensive coordinating and offensive play calling and offensive everything else and everything football, I will let him make those decisions. So week three in the NFL, those are some of the games games that caught my attention. Next week, right? It's Tom Brady versus Bill Belichick. Wait until my next podcast. I'm going to attack that nonsense and that bullshit concerning the hype. Concerning the hype only. Didn't the uh, Patriots lose to the Jameis Winston New Orleans Saints the other this past weekend? Right, and we're speaking about this is going to be the game of the season or some nonsense like this, and we're speaking only in week four. Oi, oi, oi. Come on, folks. Perspective. I know you need some sport storylines, but perspective, perspective, perspective. Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace, so glad that you could be with us. Getting down to a little Marvin Gaye, I speak about what's happening in the world of sports, talked about the NFL, talked about some things happening in the NFL, only week three, so again, not going to get into MVP talk, not going to get into Super Bowl talk, not going to get into playoff talk, not going to be getting into coach that needs to be fired talk, not going to be getting into that type of stuff right now, but uh you know, I'm just savoring every single Sunday from the minute it comes on till the minute it goes off. I'm just savoring every single Sunday, man, because 
The end of the season will be here before you know it. The games of consequence will be here before you know it. And we'll look around and say, hey, man, what happened to week six, seven, and eight? So let's not think about what's going to be happening in November. Let's not think about who's going to be in the playoffs. Let's not think about what coach needs to be fired. Let's not think about games in October, late October, and early November. Let's just go ahead and concentrate on the first Sunday in October, Week four, 13 more weeks to go after that. And let's just savor and enjoy every single moment of the NFL if you're an NFL fan. Wendell's World in Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. But now we're going to pivot. We're going to make that move to be speaking about what happened in college football this past weekend. Week four of college football. If you're out there in Alabama, if you're out there in Louisiana, if you're out there in Oklahoma, if you're out there in northern Wisconsin, if you're out there in northern Pennsylvania, if you're out there in Ohio, also savor what's happening in college football because the season is going to be over sooner than you know it, especially with the fact that uh, the college football doesn't play as many games as the NFL football does. So uh, let's go ahead and savor these games also. The game of the weekend, the game that got the most attention in terms of ranking consequence and playoff consequence and those type of things. Notre Dame over Wisconsin, 41-13. to Notre Dame just keeps plugging along, man. I mean, you know, it's a situation where you take a look at these guys and you say, okay, are, are, could they compete with Georgia? Could they compete with Alabama? Could they compete with some of the top-tier schools right now going on in college football, even with the parity that has been shown so far in college football? And the answer is no. They don't have a running game because their offensive line is porous. They don't have a quarterback in Jack Cone who can go ahead and win them a a game on a consistent basis like maybe a Bryce Young can do or maybe moving on a JT Daniels might be able to do with such. So, you know, I don't think Notre Dame definitely has its warts. But you know what? They keep winning and they keep winning and they keep winning. And the game against Wisconsin, which practically eliminated Wisconsin from any discussion about um, being – Real championship contenders, or for, or, or real serious contenders for any type of championship uh, this season. But uh, they just they just moved on. Speaking about Notre Dame, they just move on, did what they had to do, and next week they play Cincinnati. It'll be a huge test for Cincinnati, a non-power five school ranked currently number seven in the country, to see what they can do to say that you know what we belong. And if you can't beat Notre Dame, then you definitely do not belong as far as the uh, discussion is concerned when we're speaking about the way the playoff format is set up right now. I'm not speaking if they had a 12-team playoff. I think Cincinnati is one of the best, shall we say, 6-12 to teams in the country right now. But a thumping of Notre Dame, a beatdown of Notre Dame, a decisive victory over over Notre Dame would... I think set in concrete the fact that one of the best teams in college football, I don't know where you would rank them when you're comparing them to the elite of the elite, would be Cincinnati. So next week's game between Notre Dame and Cincinnati is going to be big. But, um, you know, the game against Wisconsin, when you're speaking about the Fighting Irish, hey, look, the score was 13-10 late in the third quarter or early in the fourth quarter. Wisconsin that just scored, took a 13-10 lead, and Chris Tyree... Return to kickoff, 96 yards for a touchdown to give the lead back to Notre Dame. Then Drew Pine threw a fourth-quarter touchdown pass in relief of an injured Jack Cohn. Notre Dame scored 31 points in the fourth quarter, a couple of them coming late on pick-six interceptions. So that what uh, the score was all about, 31-41-13. Not really indicative of how close the game was, but... Uh, 
you know, Wisconsin being a legit contending championship team. Frauds, <laughs> F-R-A-U-D-S, frauds. Graham Mertz threw four interceptions for Wisconsin, including two, as I mentioned before, return for touchdowns in the final 230 to uh, blow the game wide open. The Badgers now have lost seven straight to ranked teams. Wisconsin ran the ball 28 times and passed it for like 40-something times. Remember when I was speaking about um, the game plan for Wisconsin? Remember when I was speaking about on a prior podcast about the importance of Wisconsin, what Wisconsin is, what their identity is, which is to pound the football, running backs, strong offensive line, having a quarterback, which is nothing more than the game manager, which is not going to lose the uh, game for you, and rely on stout defense and special teams to go ahead and uh, give the offense great opportunities to uh, score and do well on offense, kind of like what Iowa's doing right now. Well, again, Mr. Paul Chris, how in the world are you calling more path plays than you are rushing plays, especially in that first quarter, man? It looked like Graham Hurts, Merch was going back to pass almost every single time. So, moving forward, was the win strong enough for Notre Dame to move into the top 10 in the rankings for real? I don't know. Mentioned before, offensive line allowed 20 sacks through four games. They've allowed 25 in the last 12 games, and the Irish ran the ball for three yards. Number seven, Cincinnati, is up next. So, I don't know. Notre Dame just keeps winning, but how good are they? I don't know. And all this stuff about um, Brian Kelly being the, you know, has the most wins in Notre Dame history. Okay, I, I don't know exactly what that means. It's like, oh, man, Era Parsegi and then Nuke Rockney and, okay, man. Oh, I mean, you know, I mean, let's, let's, Let's start calming down. I'm, I'm, I'm glad and I'm happy that Brian Kelly, who's a good coach, he's a, he's a good coach, strong coach. <laughs> no doubt about that. But, I mean, you know, let, let, let's not in any way, shape, or form in a safe sentence has have Brian Kelly anywhere near Nuke Rockney. Let's kind of remember that Nuke Rockney was still coaching when he died in a plane crash. And we're also speaking about a whole different game, apples and oranges. So, I mean, again, I, I, don't, I don't know exactly what that meant in terms of, you know, bringing that up other than to say that, you know, he's had some pretty good success at Notre Dame for a certain amount of time and he's been able to uh, lay down some roots there personally and professionally. So that's good for him. But, you know, they always want to throw that up there to be like, I, I don't know what, I don't know what the reaction I should have when they sit there and say that, you know, wow, Brian Kelly has more wins than Nuke Rockney and Era Parsegian and Lou Holtz. I'm, I'm sorry, don't, don't those three have, um, Championships? Didn't those three win championships? And this, you know, Brian Kelly has elevated Notre Dame. Okay, he's elevated Notre Dame, no doubt about it, but elevated them to what? I mean, are they on the same par as the top-tier schools on a consistent basis over the last uh, five or ten years, despite the fact that they've been to a couple of, of uh, playoff games and some championship games? Uh, are, we, are we now speaking about the Notre Dame football program on the same level over the past couple of years as in Ohio State or in Alabama? No, no. So, you know, I, I don't know exactly what that means. So who knows? Moving forward, Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Arkansas over Texas A&M, 20-10, snapped a nine-game losing streak. The Razorbacks had a losing streak nine games against A&M. Um, yeah, one of the surprises, Arkansas. I like their quarterback. I like their style of play. I like their defense. Texas A&M, again, has no semblance of a quarterback who can really do anything. 
And Arkansas took advantage of that. Is Arkansas, not Florida or Georgia, the best team to beat Alabama? I don't know. I don't know. It'll be interesting. We'll find out this coming Saturday where they play Georgia. But, um, you know, every year we get a school where it's kind of like, wait a minute now. We didn't we didn't suspect that uh, that team would be as good as it was. Maybe we start moving them up and up and up and up. And could that be Arkansas? Could we be looking at a situation where, you know, one of the teams that could replace a Notre Dame, one of the teams that could replace a Wisconsin, one of the teams that could replace a Clemson, one of the teams that could replace an Ohio State in terms of being true contenders for the 2021 season be the Arkansas Razorback. They got a lot of juice from the victory they had a couple of weeks ago against Texas. And we saw Texas put up 70 points against Texas Tech for them to kind of reestablish themselves as, hey, you know what, we're not chopped lever or we're not overrated in that situation, at least uh, for one week. So moving forward in the season with Arkansas, they go ahead and they beat Georgia and go ahead and continue to what they need to do to get that SEC championship game or get into the same spot where, you know, they're going to be battling Alabama. That's going to be interesting. That's going to be really interesting to go ahead moving forward. Wendell's World in Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. The Oklahoma Sooners uh, won another game where they won a game. I mean, they're winning. I don't know exactly what that means. They're winning. They're one of the elite programs. Florida State, after they made it, after they won a championship. Now, Oklahoma didn't win a championship last season, but we've seen these elite teams throughout the past, I don't know, eight to ten years where after they've had a whole lot of success, have a have a season where they're winning, but it's really not impressive. I remember the year that Florida State won the championship. Jameis Winston, as a freshman, redshirt freshman quarterback, came in there, won the uh, championship with the quarterback for that team that won the championship. And the year after that, it just seemed like they were playing down to the competition. Had a couple of close calls, and the team that Florida State at the time, many people thought, would just you know rampage for another opportunity to win a, another championship. They struggled and finally got their asses whooped. Uh, in a high fashion by Oregon. I believe it was at the Rose Bowl or something like that before Oregon then got pounded by uh, Ohio State. Speaking of Ohio State, the year after they won a national championship where, again, they had a lot of people coming back. They were going to, they were supposed to go ahead and rampage everybody in the first game of their season. They beat up on Virginia Tech and everybody was like, oh man, you know, Ohio State is going to be unstoppable. That's when Urban Meyer with the coach and I think Cardell Jones was the quarterback of that team, and the same thing happened. They just kind of played down to the competition, and then lost seventeen to fourteen at home to uh, Michigan State. So it cost them an opportunity to repeat. It just seemed like, oh, and the only reason the only reason why I'm bringing this up is because Oklahoma, in many people's uh, estimation, were if they weren't the number one ranked team in the country because we really didn't know what Alabama was going to be bringing back. We didn't know with the type of talent that Clemson was going to be bringing back. I mean, Oklahoma bringing back a lot on the defensive line and bringing back a Heisman Trophy favorite in the preseason. The Spencer Rattler was supposed to be the guy, was supposed to be the team that was supposed to be number one. And we see again, Oklahoma isn't losing. They're not not doing what Clemson is doing. But it's like something's missing. Something's not there. The chemistry is not there. The consistency is not there. The... The, the reaching the expectation, the level of expectations 
in terms of how well they're playing this season so far really hasn't come to fruition. Now, it's, it's, it's four games, but uh, again, 16 to 13 against a West Virginia team who, if you really want to make the argument, beat themselves more than anything. Stupid penalties. I remember the penalty that they had at the one-yard line, moved them back uh, five yards, the um, um, bad snaps, just the dumb penalties that uh, were happening. It seemed like it was more of West Virginia beating themselves more than Oklahoma going ahead and beating West Virginia. And if you're a fan of Oklahoma, you're out there booing Spencer Rattler because you're wanting Caleb Williams. Now, I'm going to be cheering for Caleb Williams also because Gonzaga High School in my Washington, D.C. Uh, DC area. I mean, yeah, I got to be cheering for the homeboy. But I mean, damn, really? We're, we're going to be doing this? We're going to be chanting for Spencer Rattler? And look, I, I, I get it. He's not playing well. I get it. He's not living up to your expectations. But how in the fuck do you know what Caleb Williams is going to do? Caleb Williams is the guy that's going to be turning this thing around. Caleb Williams is going to be the team. Is going to be the guy that's going to put this team at the level where you expect it to be. Caleb Williams, have you been to practice? Do you know what's going on? Have you seen any game time action of Caleb Williams so far as being a quarterback for Oklahoma that makes you say that he's a better option than? Spencer Rattler, do you do you really think that you have more knowledge, more information about who's a better quarterback and fitting the scheme and giving Oklahoma a better chance to win? You guys have more information. You guys have more knowledge, more education on the subject than Lincoln Riley. Really, you're going to be doubting what Lincoln Riley is doing with quarterbacks? Really? Come on, man. Come on. Again, Spencer Rattler, has he lived up to Heisman expectations? No, there's a lot of people who thought that, yeah, guess what? What made you think that he was going to be Heisman Trophy worthy to begin with? Did any of you guys see the first half of the season? Now, you might counter that argument by saying, yeah, but did you see the second half of the season and how well Spencer played down the stretch of those last seven or eight games? But still, this was not something where Trevor Lawrence was coming back or Justin Fields was coming back or Deshaun Watson was coming back or someone of that caliber was coming back. There were still some question marks concerning Spencer Rattler in terms of being a high-end Heisman Trophy favorite type of quarterback. So I'm I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to trust Lincoln Riley in terms of what he thinks is best for the quarterback position to give the Sooners the best chance to, chance to win. And I kind of believe that uh, if Caleb Williams was the guy that could give Oklahoma a better chance to win, then I think Lincoln Riley would put him in. But sounding like jackasses and cheering on and saying we want Caleb we want Caleb I'm like like come on man come on I mean I'm not I'm not saying that you know Spencer should go ahead and curl into a ball and cry and say life is not fair but I mean you know ignorance rubs the muck when you start doing that bullshit Wendell's World in Sports I'm your host Wendell Wallace so glad that you could be with us speaking about what's happening in college football this weekend very quickly uh Clemson woohoo is this the end of the dynasty? I'm not going to, you know, it's so easy to go that route. It's so easy to start saying that because many people think Hokio, Dabo, Sweeney, you just, you just want to, you just, you're just waiting to pounce. You're just waiting for the carcass to finally be, be edible. You know, you, the, the vultures are circling. So good old Dabo and all of his hokey bullshit for a lot of them folks is like, now is the time to now is the time to go ahead and start making these proclamations and saying, ha, 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 Yet the top storyline for week four in college football, Clemson is unofficially eliminated from the college football playoffs. 
This season, man, you never flip it. No, especially this being only week four, but the chances are extremely slim. And for the 2021 season, Clemson is officially mediocre through four weeks of the season. And that's being kind. Clemson falls to two and two after a double overtime loss to NC State. Another, what, inept, miserable, uh, bad offensive performance by Clemson. DJ Ungulele, see, he's so bad, I don't even need to pronounce his last name correctly. Uh, threw for just 111 yards. The team had 214 total yards. Clemson had 10 first downs, which tied their fewest in a game under Sweeney. In fact, they had more penalties than they had first downs. They had 11 penalties and had 10 first downs. So what's going on, Clemson? What is happening? There's all this stuff going on in terms of there's all these folks now trying to figure out exactly what's going on with Clemson. Should they now dip into the transfer portal? Should they now go ahead and recruit differently? Should they go ahead now and change some things? All of this stuff is what they're talking about. But the main thing is, is the dynasty over? Is the dynasty over? And when I say dynasty, I'm talking about the dynasty of dominance. We saw LSU have their 15 minutes of fame and then Joe Brady and Joe Burrow went to the uh, NFL and we've seen what happened to LSU since. We've seen some of these teams come and go. We've seen Oklahoma be consistently excellent under Lincoln Riley, but they have yet to taste the sweet victory of winning a championship. They the sweet taste of winning a championship. The only team that seems to be consistently great on a consistent basis is Alabama. And maybe Ohio State, but, you know, under Ryan Day, they haven't won that championship yet. So I guess you could say A, Alabama, B, Ohio State. And it used to be a few years ago, it would be A, Clemson, 1A, Alabama. That was an argument. When you have that stretch of time where Deshaun Watson, then you moved over to Mark uh, uh, Trevor Lawrence with their quarterback, you had the argument to say, hey, man, you know what? Clemson is right up there, if not better than what Alabama was all about. You could even make, it, it kind of reminded me of like tennis where, you know, Roger Federer was the presumptive greatest player of all time, but for some reason he kept losing finals to Rafa Nadal for a stretch there. And it was kind of like, yeah, Federer might be the best, but man, you could make a strong argument that Rafa is right there and maybe he has even surpassed him. There was a time not too long ago where that was the same thing in college football that, yeah, you were just under the presumption because of the consistent dominance of Alabama and the historical presence and the historical program that is the Alabama football program that, yeah, you know, Alabama was during that time the king, you know, from about, I don't know, what, 2016 to like 2018, 2019, like that, that, oh, yeah, Alabama, Alabama, Alabama. But shit, you'd also make a sign that you can also make a strong argument that Clemson, if not there, if not passing them, was right there, especially after that 44 to 16 thumping that they gave Alabama in the national championship game. So, you know, Alabama is still remaining to be at a level above. And now we see at least for one year or at least so far this season, Clemson is rebuilding. And the question again is going to be, is their dominance over? Is their dynasty of dominance over? Are they now going to sink a little bit lower when we're speaking about the top teams in college football? I mean, yeah, you can make the argument that Ohio State is not who they've been for the last couple of years. You can make the argument that Oklahoma is not who they've been for the last couple of years. But no one has fallen off the dynasty cliff farther this season so far through four games than Clemson. 
Because, again, that Clemson dynasty, it was a dynasty. They won six straight ACC championships. They won six straight ACC titles and reached six straight college football playoffs. Won a national title in 2018. Won a national title with Deshaun Watson. Did they win a title with Deshaun Watson? I think so. They, I know they won one with Mark uh, with uh, Trevor Lawrence, but, you know, memory fades me right now. So what's going on with this, man? What's going on with those guys? You know, what, what's, what's going to be happening? And I think there was a good point to say that, you know what, this this is starting the cracks in terms of them being right up there with Alabama started to show really over the past two seasons. But we kind of really didn't see it because of their dominance in the regular season in an extremely weak conference. In 2019, they went undefeated in the regular season. They went 14-0. and They scored 40 points 10 times. They scored 50 or more points 7 times. Their lowest point total was 21 points, where they won at North Carolina 21-20, and then 24 points against then number 12, Texas A&M. They outscored opponents by an average of 45-11. to So during that time, when they're up there beating opponents by a combined score of 634 to 161, you're not sitting up there talking about, oh, yeah, the Clemson dynasty on shaky ground. I mean, of course, you're not going to do that with the dominance. But then they reach the college football playoffs and got the doors blown off by them by Joe Burrow and Justin Jefferson and um, Joe Brady and all those guys. You could sit there and make the argument, well, that was just a historically great team by LSU. They were destiny. They were destined to do these things, blah, blah, blah. The 2020 season, they finished the season 10-1. and one. Eight times they scored 40 or more points. The only loss was to number four Notre Dame on the road without Trevor Lawrence, 47-40 in double overtime. So again, it was a situation where they're beating up on the ACC. They're putting up all these strong numbers. They're living off some of their recent success with Trevor Lawrence winning a championship, Deshaun Watson winning a championship, Trevor Lawrence making his resume, building his resume as one of the greatest quarterbacks over the last 10, 15, 20 years in college football. We really didn't see some of the cracks. We really didn't see any of any evidence of possibly Clemson slipping from the high perch that they were on, except for when they were playing in the national championship games where they were blown out by LSU in 2019, as I mentioned before, and then blown out in 2020. So, look, playing in a basketball-centric conference like the ACC, where they could hide their weaknesses, where they could hide how weak their offensive line was over the past season and a half, we really didn't think about it. And just like Alabama, when you're at the level of Clemson, And it's like, okay, just like Alabama, we just reload. We don't rebuild. And when we reload, we reload with a vengeance, reload with four and five-star recruits. You take a look at the uh, 24-7 composite for recruiting, and you see how high Clemson has been right up there with the greatest of the greats in Alabama as far as recruiting is concerned and Ohio State is concerned. You are now been placed on a level to where you don't rebuild, you reload. And when you reload, you don't reload with a machine gun. You reload with a couple of bazookas. So DJU was supposed to be just picking up for where Trevor Lawrence left off. Will Shipley was supposed to be picking up right where Tra- Travis ETM left off. Justin Ross was supposed to be picking up right where T. Higgins left off. And the defense was just supposed to be the same dominant unit that they had. And oh, by the way, Clemson also had one of the better offensive coordinators in Tony Elliott, who should have been getting a head coaching job years ago, but because of the color of his skin and other things prevented him from doing that or getting a real opportunity for him to do that so all of these things that were happening and all of these things that we were watching me included 
kind of made us blind to the fact that, you know, we really didn't put enough stock into, wait a minute, this is kind of like the second year in a row where Clemson, who was supposed to be this unbelievable, fantastic team, just got their asses whooped first by LSU and by Ohio State. And Ohio State didn't even win the championship last year. They got their butts kicked by Alabama. So somehow, someway, we should have kind of seen this coming to fruition for Clemson for 2021. Now, were we expecting them to be so offensively inept in the showings against Clemson, against uh, Georgia and Georgia Tech and NC State? No, no one saw that. But it's 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 surprisingly what's the word I'm looking for here? What the What's the word can I put in here when describing what's been happening so far four games into the season with Clemson? It's surprisingly, uh, hmm, we should have seen this coming. Maybe not to this degree, but we shouldn't be shocked that they're 2-2 two and two and really have a strong possibility of being 1-3. and three. And with everything said and done, they still have a chance to win the um, ACC. You got to remember, they're 1-1 they're, they're one one in the conference. So who knows, man, the talent is there. The coaching is there. The experience is there in terms of the coaching to turn things around. But we'll see. We'll see what happens. I'm not going to make any, like, you know, bold proclamation in terms of the Clemson dynasty is over. I mean, you can't win a championship every year. Even Nick Saban has suffered in the past seven or eight seasons, suffered uh, two losses in a season. I think one year he even had three, even though that might have been when he first took over the job in the infancy of him building the dynasty, which is now the Alabama football team under Mr. Aflac himself. So um, surprising that Clemson has gone to the depths of where they are this season, being mediocre. But when everything is all said and done, we shouldn't be hugely surprised. Two and two, maybe, but not the same level that they've been for the last couple of years. Definitely not. Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. The final segment of the program, let it marinate, let the song marinate, bring it down, bring it down, fade to black. That's exactly what I'm talking about. Wendell's World in Sports. So glad that you could be with us. Final segment of the podcast, speaking about what's happening in college football, speaking about what's happening in the NFL, speaking about all those things. But now for the last part of this program, for the last part of this podcast, I'm going to pivot and speak about what's happening in the fight game, mixed martial arts, speak about what's happening with boxing. There was a heavyweight championship fight across the pond that I want to get into. Only boxing 
can be as stupid as boxing is when it comes to these fighters and these promoters and for the good of the sport. The fact that these guys threw so much money away, the fact that these promoters threw so much money away, the fact that the sport, despite the outcome of the event, took another blow for the sport itself in terms of long-term visibility, in terms of long-term popularity, in terms of long-term people getting back in love with boxing. There's no sport that's any dumber. There's no sport that's any more greedier than the sport of boxing. Another example of that happened on Saturday, which I'll get into in just a few moments. But first, speaking of <laughs> speaking of a guy throwing away millions, speaking of a guy who just, I don't know, man. I, I don't know. I don't know. Bewilderment. I don't know. John Jones, arguably the greatest mixed martial artist of all time, should have been the face of the UFC, should have been the face of mixed martial arts for years upon years upon years, for all positive reasons, I shall say, was at it again as far as stupidity is concerned, as far as bad judgments are concerned, as far as making the wrong decision is concerned. John Jones was arrested on misdemeanor domestic violence charges in Las Vegas this past weekend. He was arrested Friday morning by the Las Vegas Metropolitan Police Department just hours after a past fight of his was inducted into the UFC Hall of Fame. That was the fight against Alexander Gustafson. Jones is being charged with misdemeanor battery domestic violence and injuring or tampering a vehicle, which, congratulations, John, it's a felony. The judge on Saturday ruled there was probable cause to arrest Jones, and not just because of the color of his skin. He wasn't being arrested because he was black. He's being arrested because he's a dumbass who broke the law. And a biological specimen shall be submitted to the appropriate forensic laboratory for genetic marker analysis. Jones was released from the Clark County Detention Center on Friday night after posting bail from a guy who's been in the Clark County Detention Center for about 48 hours because I failed to appear on a traffic ticket. I'm quite sure that would happen to me about, I don't know, 13, 14 years ago. I'm quite sure that the Clark County Detention Center has not smelled any better, has not getting any more comfortable, has not looked any better. It's still gray, it's still dim, and you're still in there with the dope fiends who are trying to come down from their highs. So when those guys are up there scratching and sniffing and running around and bouncing up against the walls in that detention center and they see John Jones walking in, they take a look and they say, good Lord, what in the hell did I put in my system for me to be seeing this big motherfucker come walking in here? Nope, it's Johnny Jones, Johnny Bones Jones. You want to fuck with him? Don't think so. There's not a drug out there that would make people that stupid. He was arrested, speaking of Jones, the same morning at Caesars Palace in Las Vegas and his bail was set at $8,000, he is scheduled to appear in court on Saturday morning, but was rescheduled to October 26th at 8.30 a.m. in Justice Court per online records. <laughs> I, what is up with this guy, man? Jones is regarded as perhaps the best UFC fighter of all time. Yeah, no shit. No shit. But as a guy who should have been, again, the face of not just mixed martial arts, but as a guy who should have been the face of fighting, Another situation where it's kind of like, come on, man, I mean, you know, goddamn. And you know, Dana White is sitting up here going, you know, Las Vegas isn't good for John Jones. Let me tell you, for folks who don't live in Las Vegas, Nevada, I've lived in Las Vegas since October 20th, 2003. So we're going on here 21 years. No, we're going on here 18 years. 21 minus 3, you have to bring it over. Yeah, 18 years. I've lived in Las Vegas, Nevada for 18 years. And before that, I frequented Las Vegas, Nevada, especially when I lived in Phoenix, Arizona. Just a quick uh, drive up to uh, up to this place. 
Let me tell you something, man. I mean, what's overrated is this nonsense about if you want to find trouble, if you want to get in trouble, then you go into Las Vegas. That's bullshit. From a guy who lived here, that's bullshit. From a guy who frequented as a tourist and wanted to have some fun, that's bullshit. The only thing in Las Vegas that you can do that you can do that you can't do anywhere else is gamble. You want to see a show, you can go see a show, but guess what, man? How is Los Angeles any different than Las Vegas? How is Miami any less dangerous in terms of getting into trouble and having too much fun than Las Vegas? How is New York City tamer than Las Vegas? Again, outside of gambling, that's it. If you want to go to a strip joint, you can go to a strip joint in Chicago. You can go to a strip joint in New York. You can go to a strip joint in Philadelphia. You can go to a strip joint in D.C. You can go to a strip joint in Reno, Nevada. You can go to a strip joint in Everett, Washington. You can go to a strip joint in Miami, Florida. You can go to a strip joint in any of them places. If you want to go see a show, how could you not see a show in Chicago? How could you not see a show in any major market out there? Instead, you want to go see a show in Vegas? All right, fine. Who do we get out here that's worth a damn? Is Britney Spears do, still doing her thing? I don't know. When it comes to playing to Hollywood and all these other places and all these other um, venues down here, I don't go to any of them places. I don't spend, spend a single dime. I don't spend a nickel. I don't spend a penny. I don't spend any of my money at any of these casinos and places on the strip. Them places are doing just fine without my money. They don't need my contributions. You know what I'm saying? God bless those guys because those guys are the ones who help keep the roads uh, going out here. They're the ones who help keep the schools up out here. I mean, they do a lot for the community. So I'm not downgrading those guys. I'm not saying they're evil or something like that. They're just not going to get any of my money. I'm not going to be giving any of my money putting it into slot machines or on the blackjack table or at the crafts table. No, that's for the tourists. You tourists go ahead and you go. When, when, when folks come down here, I always tell them, thank you very much. Don't think of coming down here losing money at the crap table and gambling and all those type of things and you know, at the racing sports books and doing all those type of things. Don't don't look at it as some as, as losing money. You're contributing to the health and the vitality of a city that's nurturing children. That are your 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 money that you're losing are going to schools so kids can go ahead and get an education and the proper school books and all those type of things. You know, you're taking care of the senior citizens. You're taking care of those type of people. So when you lose money at the roulette table, when you lose money at the blackjack table, when you lose money because your 14 parlay didn't come through, don't think of it as wasted money. Just think of it as another opportunity for a child to get himself a better education. That's the way I look at things. But this nonsense about John Jones in Las Vegas and that unleashes his demons because all of the bad things and all of the horrible things that happen in Vegas in terms of the the vices and everything that happens. Believe me, if, if John Jones can get in trouble, if John Jones can be a screw-up in Las Vegas, um, I would definitely keep him away from uh, South Beach. I would definitely keep him away from Hollywood. I would definitely keep him away from the Miracle Mile in Chicago. I would definitely keep him away from a whole lot of other places that are a lot more tempting in terms of getting in trouble and having your vices just come out of you than uh, Las Vegas, Nevada. So I kind of regret with Dana White saying, you know, it's terrible for John Jones to come down here because when he's down here, he gets in trouble. Something tells me whenever there's any type of situation where John Jones can be a knucklehead, John Jones is going to be a knucklehead. John Jones has been in trouble many times before, and believe me, they haven't all been in Las Vegas. But um, again, you know, I, 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 don't, I don't know what else to do with uh, John Jones. And as far as the fighter is concerned, again, 
Is he the greatest fighter of all time? Arguably, yes. I don't go ahead. What's the difference between him and Fedor? What's the difference between him and Anderson Silva? What's the difference between him and GSP? What's the difference between him and uh, Demetrius Johnson? What's the difference between him and Valentina Shinchenko? What's the difference between him and Chris Cyborg or Amanda Nunez? What's the difference between him and any of those fighters? Who knows, man? I'm not into the he's the greatest and rank your greatest MMA fighters. Just like I'm not into, you know, who's greater, Michael Jordan or LeBron James. I'll leave that bullshit for the barbershops over on Martin Luther King Boulevard. And um, I'll leave it for those discussions in other places at the water cooler and such. That's not really my my bag. You know, who's more beautiful? Who would you rather sleep with in their, in their prime? Halle Berry or... Um, Selma Hayek am I going to go wrong either way why am I even having this discussion like if like if all of a sudden now instead of Selma Hayek I get to sleep with Halle Berry then I'm going to be you know upset and angry and everything and begging and pleading for a recount no I'll take either one and go dancing in the street like Martha and the Vandellas and dance on the ceiling like Ronald Ritchie every single step of the way so when it comes to who's the greatest and this that and the other let's put it this way in the VIP section of the club greatest fighters of all time John Jones is still at the table. John Jones is at that table with Valentina Shimshenko. He's at that table with Fedor Emelianenko. He's at that table with Demetrius Johnson. He's at that table with George St. Pierre. He's at that table with Anderson Silva. He's at that table with all those guys. You know what I'm saying? So and I'll let those guys decide who's the best of all time. They have a lot more knowledge about that than me or Luke Thomas or anybody else concerning that matter. So there you go with that one. But, um, you know, I, I, I don't... I don't I don't know exactly what to do with uh, John Jones. Resume speaks for itself. Held the UFC light heavyweight title for the better part of nine years when he wasn't suspended for um, testing positive for PEDs and such and such and and doing knucklehead things off the uh, outside of the octagon. He's never been beaten in the cage. His one loss was a disqualification when he was still learning the sport. You got to remember John Jones initially got into the sport just by looking at tapes and doing the stuff in his garage. He would look at these fights or he would look at these tapes and these highlights of MMA fighters and take a look at that in his garage and say, oh yeah, I think I can do that and mimic what those guys were doing and brought it to, uh, brought it, brought it to the gym and, uh, you know, uh, those guys, Greg Jackson and such molded John Jones into an awesome fighting machine. And again, one of the greatest who's, uh, ever stepped in the octagon or anything like that but you know john has been in trouble several several times outside of the octagon as i mentioned before a felony hit and run and two failed drug tests which is for the most part got him out for what three and a half seasons three and a half years or something like that like that the prime of his fighting career i mean shit ali missed 25 to 28 as far as ages is concerned because of his refusal to um step and go to the Vietnam War and, you know, participate in the Vietnam War and that type of thing, but a little bit different in terms of reasons for missing the prime of your athletic career. So, you know, he told ESPN on Thursday night before the Hall of Fame ceremony that um, he weighed 255 pounds and he was looking to bulk up to 270 for his heavyweight debut. There was supposed to be a situation by now that he should have fought Francis Ngannou for the heavyweight championship when Francis knocked out Stipe Miocic, who also should be considered one of the greatest fighters of all time, the greatest heavyweight of all time without question. But when Ngannou knocked out Stipe, the buzz and everything immediately turned to John Jones moving up from light heavyweight to heavyweight 
to fight Francis Ngannou, but terms, contractual terms fell apart, so uh, they went to a different uh, direction in terms of the heavyweight fight is concerned, and when they screwed over Ngannou because he was over in Africa doing a thing and he couldn't fight in September or, or August or something like that, they stripped him or they had him, They made an interim belt and Mark uh, uh, and, and the Black Beast, Derek Lewis, fought somebody and all that kind of nonsense. So now Ngannou is looking to fight uh, the guy who beat um, Lewis, whose name's uh, I can't remember right now, and the winner of that's going to fight John Jones, presumably, because look, if I'm the UFC, John Jones is good for business. And it, and it's just like Conor McGregor, okay? Outside of the law doing something punishable for Conor McGregor, Conor McGregor can do whatever he wants because Conor McGregor is such a cash cow for the UFC, they'll kind of make sure that, uh, you know, just get him to the octagon. That's all we need for him to do. If he wants to fucking go ahead and act like a fucking moron outside of the octagon and get himself in trouble and and um, throw punches at old guys who won't uh, accept uh, drinking his uh, beer or whatever that shit was, his proper 12 or all that kind of nonsense. If he wants to go ahead and break phones and he wants to go ahead and sexually assault people, fine. As long as we can keep his ass out of jail, he will fight. There is no such thing now, especially when you're of the stature of a John Jones or a Conor McGregor to where anything less of committing a violent felony to where, hey, look, man, if you're going to have to go to jail on this one, we really can't help you. Outside of that, the UFC will always go ahead and do whatever they can for their top fighters who are getting in trouble to uh, face minimal punishment so they can go ahead and get them in the octagon and go ahead and still make money. That's the deal. And for John Jones, this is the situation. So it's like, well, what's the UFC going to do? What is Dana White going to do with John Jones now, this, that, and the other? They're going to do everything they possibly can for these charges to go away. They're going to do everything that they possibly can to minimize these charges. And they're going to try to do their best gosh darnest to uh, sign the fight, John Jones, to fight the um, winner of this fight between Ngannou and the guy who's uh, he's going to be fighting. And they're going to pray and they're going to keep their fingers crossed and they're going to uh, just hope and pray that John Jones can stay out of a little bit of trouble for him to finally fight this guy. Because if the fight happens between him and Francis Ngannou, the money is going to be rolling in. So for John Jones and, you know, who, you know, who, what, what expectation, what penalties and everything are you expecting from John Jones? None. None. And for those who are sanctimonious clowns who want to sit there and go, oh, that's bullshit, that's wrong, that's horrible, you're enabling this, that, and the other. Hey, look, man, it's all about making money. And when John Jones is no longer useful to the UFC, fuck him. That's basically going to be it, just like every other profession, just like every other uh, deal, whether you're an account executive, whether you're a professional athlete, whether you're an actor, when your usage in terms of making people money are no longer there then they really don't give about they don't really give a fuck about you so it's the same thing now it's like hey look man we have a potential uh cash cow in the future with john jones coming up to 275 to 270 pounds to fight ninganu ninganu is a big fucking monster who's uh vicious who's a uh, deadly who's a knockout machine so we've got a situation here where we could have, you know, a couple of fights between these two and it could really be a boom for business. You think that all of a sudden now because John Jones can't keep himself out of trouble that we're going to uh, throw all that money and throw that potential down the drain and 
if you are a fight fan and if you are an MMA fan, Lord knows you're going to sit there and be like, no, fuck that, man. You know, like I said, get John Jones in the octagon against Nagano and when his career is over, then go ahead and have him atone for all of the sins that he did. But as of right now, no, you make sure that John Jones is going to be in a situation where he's going to be fighting and he's going to be fighting soon and whatever happens happens in terms of him trying to uh stay clean him trying to uh, keep his uh keep his uh life in order we don't care about the train wreck as long as the train wreck the car wreck shows up to fight and he's rip roaring ready to go anything outside of that we as fans again whether it be football fans basketball fans boxers mma folks you know, we, we really don't give a shit. You know, just make sure that you uh, entertain us. And that's the only damn, that's the only thing that we're concerned about. Outside of, I don't know, maybe joining ISIS and uh, flying a plane into a building. Wendell's World in Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could do, so glad that you could be with us. The, uh, I wanted to speak about the fight as I go ahead and uh, end this on Saturday. Alexander Usich. Shook up the heavyweight division, became a two-weight world champion with a unanimous points decision over Anthony Joshua for the WBA, IBF, and WBO world heavyweight titles on Saturday. Usyk won by scores of 117-112, 116-112, and 115-113 to claim the IBF, WBA, and WBO titles from Joshua. I had it. 117-112 also I had it 8 rounds to 4 Usek who's now 19-3 with 13 KOs and is 34 years old Hurt Joshua who's 31 and now he falls to 24-2 with 22 knockouts he uh, hurt Joshua in the 3rd and the 7th and almost finished the fight off in the 12th round in fact if they would have let that go well not let the, let it go but if, if the rounds were 3.5 minutes instead of 3 minutes then Usyk would have won that by either stoppage or by knockout because John, uh, Joshua was done he was exhausted he was beaten both physically both mentally his eye was uh, screwed up his left eye was closing so he had nothing left he had absolutely nothing left and after a rally by Joshua midway through the uh, fight after the uh, eighth round it was all Alexander Usech so give it up to the man give it up to the Ukrainian who uh, boxed circles around the bigger Anthony Joshua for historical terms I guess if you were back in 1927 or 1929 and you saw Gene Tunney fight Jack Dempsey for the heavyweight championship of the world it probably looks something similar to that in terms of Gene Tunney being the boxer coming up from the light heavyweight to uh, face Dempsey the Manasseh Mahler who was knocking out everybody who was this vicious vicious fighter who you know came in there looking to knock your head off it must have looked something like that the fight between Joshua and Alexander Usech with Usech playing the role of Tunney and Joshua playing the role of Jack Dempsey where just Tony just outboxed him and beat him up and that type of thing that's exactly what Usech did Usech did what Billy Kahn did to Joe Lewis back in 1941 for about 12 rounds before Lewis knocked him out near the end of the 13th when Billy Kahn decided to get stupid and try to knock out one of the greatest heavyweights of all time so there's been precedence of a boxer Usech being a cruiserweight who um was the best of the bunch in a very difficult and challenging cruiserweight division, making that move up to the heavyweight division and facing someone at a big, big monster size, 
of Anthony Joshua. But, you know, in the first round, it was kind of like, oh, okay. And you could just see that Usech was dictating how this fight was going to go. And you were waiting to see Joshua kind of, kind of, you know, start imploring his will, start putting his will into this fight and into Usyk, maybe leaning on him, maybe doing some dirty boxing, maybe doing something, holding, something like that. But he was just content to sit there and play counterpuncher and let uh, Usyk give him a uh, boxing lesson, which exactly what he did. Now, I've, I've always felt, you know, and, and this is the reason why I've, I've always said that as of right now, Tyson Fury is the best fighter, is the best heavyweight in the world today. Because if you take a look at the challengers, if you take a look at the, the elite that many people have considered in the heavyweight division for a long time, when you're speaking about Deontay Wilder and Anthony Joshua and Tyson Fury, two out of those three guys came in the boxing almost because of their athleticism and you didn't want to let their athleticism go to waste and, you know, because of their size and everything. And it was kind of like, well, you know, have you guys tried boxing? You ever think about boxing? And, and this came to fruition for them in terms of getting into the sport later on in life. You know, Deontay Wilder, his dream was to play football for the University of Alabama. But here was a guy who was 6'7", 260 pounds, but as a football player, just wasn't good enough to be at that level. So with all of this athleticism and with all of this power that he had, someone said, did you ever try boxing? And he said, no, but you know what? I have a couple of kids and I need to feed my family and I'm tired of working at this grocery store and I know if I'm really good in boxing and then I know how much money that can be made, especially if you're speaking about an American heavyweight. Sure, let's go ahead and give this a try. So I think at the age of like 19, 20, 21, somewhere around there, Deontay Wilder got himself in the boxing, not because of this love for it, but because it was a situation where I have these physical gifts. These physical gifts match up with the sport and it can make me a lot of money. So this is the route that I'm going. Same thing with Anthony Joshua. Now, Anthony Joshua has a pretty established and pretty decorated um, amateur background, but I think that he came into the sport rather late. And when you take a look at Anthony Joshua as a fighter, He's not really what you would call that natural fighter. Tyson Fury, on the other hand, is was born to fight. Tyson Fury was born to box. Tyson Fury comes from a long line of fighters. Gypsy King mentality, this, that, and the other. As far can remember, Tyson Fury, this was a guy who was going to be a boxer, was going to be a fighter. I'm quite sure before Tyson Fury could walk, he was learning how to box. Boxing was ingrained in them. This is some, this is not something where this was plan B for Tyson Fury. Tyson Fury, when he was born, his father looked at him and said, son, you're going to be a fighter. So that was a situation like that. So from a long time, you know, you're speaking about years upon years of Tyson Fury learning the fight game, having it in his bones, having it in his brain, having it in his muscles, years and years and decades of fighting and being in the ring and practicing the sport and everything like that and having the love for it, having the ability to train for it, knowing the ins and outs of it because of the background which he came from and his, and his father and everything like that and his family members and everything like that being fighters. This is something where Tyson Fury, he is a boxer. He is a fighter. This is what he was born to do. Deontay Wilder and Anthony Joshua are doing this almost out of convenience, almost because they have to because this is the best way for them to make some money, best way for them to make some fame. So I've always felt, and Alexander Ustic proved it against Anthony Joshua in terms of 
you know, a, a natural fighter, I think, in that situation, again, would have imposed his will, would have imposed his size, would have imposed the size and strength difference, and would have been better to go ahead and negate some of the things that Alexander Usech was doing. Anthony Joshua never did. He just sat there and thought that, I don't know, maybe he's going to run out of gas by the 7th or 8th round because the pace that Usek was putting on was something where you had to question in the early round, like, man, if he can, is he going to be able to do this for the entire fight? Because if he is, Anthony Joshua's got some problems, especially if he's going to fight the way that he's fighting right now because he's just letting uh, Usek dictate the uh, dictate the style and dictate the tempo of this fight. But he just let him let him keep on doing it. So I I, I thought that I've always felt that if Tyson Fury ever got in the ring with uh, Anthony Joshua, that uh, the same thing with Deontay Wilder. I think Tyson Fury would put on a boxing clinic. And if Anthony Joshua is getting beat up by a undersized for heavyweight division size Alexander Usyk, just think about what six nine two hundred sixty five pound two hundred seventy pound two hundred seventy pound. Um, Tyson Fury would do to Anthony Joshua after 7, 8, 9, 10 rounds. He would do the same thing which he did to Deontay Wilder the second time and probably what he's going to do to him the third time coming up here in the next week or two. Wow, that fight between, uh, damn, that fight between Fury and Deontay Wilder is going to be happening, what, October 5th or some nonsense like that? But so, well, uh, out here in Vegas, so how about that? But so here we go. So, you know, a- another situation where Boxing, the heavyweight division, and boxing in general screwed itself. Absolutely, positively screwed itself. Now, because the biggest fight in British boxing history and possibly one of the biggest fights in heavyweight division history is now down the drain. For the second time. Congratulations. For the second time. The first time, and you take a look at someone like an Anthony Joshua, you take a look at someone like a Tyson Fury, you take a look at someone like a Deontay Wilder, these fucking ass clowns who decided not to fight each other when the going was, when, 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 when the time was ripe, when it was the best time to do it, when it was at the hottest, when it was at the most demanding, these three fucking ass clowns probably, seriously, probably lost somewhere around 250 to 300 million fucking dollars. Eddie Hearn and all of these guys, promotions and all of these guys, do you know how much fucking money they lost? Did you see the um, interview afterwards with Eddie Hearn when he was speaking, you know, on the zone? And those guys were interviewing him, talking about the fight. That guy looked and sounded like his best friend had just died. He looked and sounded like he his, his dog died when his wife and kids left him. That guy looked like the saddest, most depressing human being on the planet. Well, congratulations, Eddie. I'm not saying it's all your fault, but guess what? You deserved it because guess what? You motherfuckers somehow should, some way, should have gotten to the point where Tyson Fury and Anthony Joshua should have been fighting. Just like years and years and years ago, that Anthony Joshua and Deontay Wilder should have been fighting. And they should have been fighting at least two or three times. And if Anthony Joshua, when the going was right, when Anthony Joshua just came off beating, knocking out Vladimir Klitschko, Klitschko in front of like 98,000 people at Wembley Stadium, and when Deontay Wilder was knocking out everybody with that powerful right hand, and both of those guys were undefeated, and one was Britain, was British, and the other one was an American, that's when the that's when the iron should have been struck, and you could have had two to three fights, two at the very least. 
And from those two to three fights, you guys probably probably would have made anywhere between, I don't know, 75 to 100 million fucking dollars. Guaranteed. If you take a look at the purse, if you take a look at the pay-per-view buys and everything that came afterwards, because remember, this would have been before the pandemic. If you're speaking about two heavyweight fighters, one with knockout power, one with an American, you could have built this as the... Deontay Wilder could have been... He's, he's next in line. He's the bigger Mike Tyson. He's the more ferocious Mike Tyson. He's the stronger, more devastating Mike Tyson of this era. This is going to be the guy that's going to lead boxing back to the promised land. The heavyweight division is the most important division in boxing. And we've got ourselves a wrecking ball. We've got ourselves a monster. We've got ourselves a knockout machine right there in the annals, right there in the same um, tree as a Joe Lewis, right there in the same tree as a Sonny Liston, right there in the same tree as an Ernie Shavers, right there in the same tree as a Mike Tyson. Hard-hitting behemoths who are going to knock out people and then smile afterwards as as their opponents are laying unconscious for 15 minutes and the crowd is wondering if that guy is alive or dead. This is the guy, Deontay Wilder, and you show that highlight package and then you show Anthony Joshua and you just go ahead and you just go ahead and you keep feeding that victory over Klitschko and you talk about what a gentleman he is and you talk about you know his you know how how media savvy he is and how articulate he sounds and everything like that the brute the beast versus the British whoever whatever I don't know I'm not a promoter but there's just so many ways that you could have promoted this fight and the public would have eaten it up and the rematch would have been easy to set and if for instance Wilder wins the first fight and then Joshua went the second fight. Then you have a trilogy. Money, 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 money. You could put a, you could have put that shit in Vegas. You could have put that shit in Jerry World. You could have put that shit in Wembley Stadium, one of the three fights. Money, 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 money. But no, because of short-sightedness, because of greed, and because of what Manny and Floyd did, where those guys, when they fought, it was about four years too late. But yet and still, both of those guys made a boatload of money because people are fucking stupid. I boycotted that fight because I was like, fuck it, man. You think I'm going to see these two clowns fight now? Nah, you had your chance as far as making me watch that fight three, four years ago when Floyd knew that Manny was going to give him a much bigger challenge. So he went out there and said that Manny was doing PEDs and he wasn't going to do all this nonsense. And so Floyd picked and chose who he was going to fight. So then when he knew that Manny was at... A point in his career where he could beat him that's where he said oh let's go ahead and make this fight sorry suckers I wasn't going to be watching that bullshit fuck you Floyd so nah I had no interest in that but those guys made so much money and the pay-per-view did so well that these promoters got it in their brains to say well we can do that uh, we can do that with, uh, with uh, other fighters we can do that with uh, other uh, situations similar to that that's the reason why Errol Spence and, and Bud Crawford aren't going to be fighting, among other things. There's other reasons, of course, but one of the main things is that, fuck it, we can go ahead and we can make this fight in another four or five years and we can still make the same amount of money that we would have made if we would have gone ahead and fought, and, uh, fought this when it should be right now. The light, lightweight division is it, 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 it's crawling. It's overflowing with great talent. But none of these guys are going to be fighting right now. Who did that help? Who does, as far as the sport is concerned, not having um, not not having these guys in a lightweight division fight? Who was that? Who was that benefiting? When was the last time Vasily Lomachenko fought someone real after 
uh, losing to Timofeo Lopez. And when is Lopez going to fight again? When are these guys going to fight each other? When are these guys going to go ahead and get back into the ring and fight each other? Why, when they're 30? When no one gives a shit anymore? Presumably? Boxing. Congratulations, you fucking clowns. Now you got, now Joshua and all these guys, you got exactly what you fucking deserve. Because right now we should be speaking about the biggest fight in boxing history in the country of uh, Britain. We should be speaking about this as far as one of the biggest fights in heavyweight history. Who cares if it turns out to be a dud? Larry Holmes versus Jerry Corey turned out to be a fucking dud. Or, uh, uh, oh, who, the, the Great White Hope. Koozie Corsi, I don't forget, whatever that guy's name, Jerry Corey is, a, is, a, is another white guy who uh, fought Ali and fought all those guys. But Jerry Cooney? Oh, shit, I forgot. But remember that fight in 81, Larry Holmes versus the Great White, Great White Hope? And um, Holmes beat the shit out of him, and that turned out to be a, um, a mismatch. Still made them a boatload of money. Still had boxing at the center of the attention of the sports world for a long time. During that time, during that uh, promotion, leading up to that fight. Put boxing right at the top of the um, top of the list. But these guys are so flipping greedy. These promoters and these fighters are so, so short-sighted that the fight that should have happened, again, Tyson Fury versus Anthony Joshua. They could have fought in the UAE, and then they could have fought in Wembley. They could have fought in um, Vegas. They could have fought anywhere. Tyson Fury goes as his stupid ass goes out and gets covid <laughs> you know, only in boxing. And, and, you know, boxing and MMA are the only two sports where you can line up. It's, when you're speaking about dream matches, when you're speaking about matches that people want to see, fights they want to see, entertainment they want to see, events that they want to see, MMA and boxing are the only sports that can make that happen. Or the, It's the easiest to make that happen. And the NBA... During the prime, we never got to see Kobe versus LeBron in the NBA Finals. Why? Because they have to go through something called, I don't know, a playoff. So this is a situation at the end of the regular season, David Stern or Adam Silver, as much as they wanted to, can't just cancel the playoffs or just make the playoffs obsolete and say, regardless of what happens in the playoffs, we're going to have a best four out of the seven with the Lakers versus the Cleveland Cavaliers because the because the matchup of LeBron James versus Kobe Bryant would be a ratings bonanza. Can't do that. There's some other things you have to do. So unfortunately, when the Lakers and the Cavaliers and Kobe and LeBron had their best opportunity to meet at the height of their powers, Dwight Howard and the Orlando Magic said, yeah, I don't think so. So instead of getting LeBron versus Kobe, Cleveland versus the Lakers, and I believe it was the 2009 NBA Finals, we got Orlando versus the Lakers. It was still the Lakers, but... It wasn't the same. So, same thing in football. You know, you have to go through playoffs before you get to a Super Bowl, which people are going to be tuning in in droves and masses, even though they do right now. There's really not a um, team out there because of how strong the sport is, is speaking about the NFL, where it's going to be a quote-unquote disappointment. You know, same tennis. I mean, luckily with Roger Federer and Novak Djokovic and Rafa Nadal, those guys have been so dominant when they were rolling that the dream matchups between Novak and Rafa or Novak and Federer or Federer and Rafa, those things happen so damn much that it's started to become anticlimactic. <laughs> you know, after this 
several Wimbledon finals and such and Australian Open finals and such where those guys put on masterful, unbelievable, memorable, historic uh, uh, performances. Got to the point where it's like, ah, yeah, we've seen this, I don't know, about 50 times. Boxing is the only sport where it's kind of like we don't have a playoffs, we don't have a regular season or anything like that. If Bud Crawford and Errol Spence want to fight each other, we can make it happen. There is no, well, you know, well, if Spence can go through this guy and that guy and this guy and uh, Crawford can go through this guy and this guy and that guy, well, then maybe we can go ahead and put it together. No, you guys can put it together anytime you want to. You guys can put, um, you guys could have put Anthony Joshua and Deontay Wilder, Anthony Joshua and Tyson Fury together anytime that you wanted to. And it would have been a ratings. It would have been a bonanza for the sport for those two guys financially and everything else. But you stupid motherfuckers blew it. Well, congratulations. Congratulations, boxing. You screwed yourself again. Because guess what? As wonderful a story as Alexander Ustach is, that ain't going to sell worldwide. That ain't going to sell in this country like Tyson Fury versus Anthony Joshua would have. Not in Britain, not in the selfish, racist, ignorant states of America, the country that I'm living in. Except for the Ukraine, there's no other place where you're going to be able to recoup all the money that you lost in terms of the excitement, in terms of the hype, in terms of the publicity that you would have gotten worldwide if you guys just would have gone ahead and would have focused and put together Anthony Joshua and Tyson Fury, just like the same years ago when you should have put together Deontay Wilder and Anthony Joshua. Congratulations, fools. All right, there we go. That is the end of the podcast. I want to thank everybody for listening. Since we are going to be speaking about boxing, since I finished speaking about boxing, I'm going to go ahead and end this with a little Bill Conti. If you watch the uh, movies, Rocky, you're Rocky. I'm going to go ahead and uh, end it with that, a little Bill Conti, uh, one of the greatest composers as far as writing Hollywood scores. This guy is uh, amazing. Rest in peace to a legend. Stay safe, be good to each other, be kind to each other, love, peace, unity, harmony, understanding, do all the things that we can to move this world, to move the society in a better place. Too late for my generation, too late for your generation, think about your children, think about your grandchildren, think about your great-grandchildren, their great-great-great-great-grandchildren, and so forth. So in the 22nd, 23rd, and 24th century, if this planet is still around, we can be speaking about a society where everybody is judged based on who they are as human beings, not by the color of their skin, not by where they were born, not by what God they worship, not by political affiliation, and not by any of those superficial, idiotic, nonsensical things that keep us divided as a world today. Wendell's World and Sports Music. <laughs>